Y'all, I'm so happy to share a conversation I had with Emily Anchia, the digital manager at my home sangha, Don Mountain. Her degree is in personal finance, so we talked money stuff, and she comes at the topic from a more spiritual angle that reminds me of Marie Kondo more than the finance bros on YouTube. If you'd like to learn more about the basics of Buddhism, please see the show notes for links to my free courses for beginners and to my favorite comprehensive intro courses on Buddhism and Buddhist meditation. Emily is the manager of all things digital and broadcast at Don Mountain Buddhist Temple. She facilitates spreading the Dharma as a profession, but she also has a passion for spreading financial literacy. She loves the art of storytelling in every form and especially all things spooky. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I am so happy to be chatting with you today, Emily. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the podcast. Um, Part of the reason I even wanted to have this conversation is that Emily, who I know from Dawn Mountain, she like makes basically everything happen online for Dawn Mountain. Um, We have had conversations before where you shared some of your like personal finance I don't know, best practices. And it just, it sounds like a a form of spiritual practice. And to me, I often feel like, you know, the way I spend is actually maybe my most significant political power these days. So I'm, I'm curious, I know you probably have to um, give a little um, (laughs) disclaimer. (laughs) So I'll let you do that. This is not proper like financial advice, but I'd love to hear a little about um, your background and then how you approach personal finance as a set of like spiritual or mindful decisions. So take it away, Emily, and thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Claire. I'm super excited to be invited to a spiritual podcast to talk about something as materialist as money, (laughs) because, you know, like you said, it is kind of your political vote or power, but it's also a vote or power you have in what you include in your own life. Um, I have a background in personal financial planning, and here is the disclaimer. I'm not giving financial advice today. Definitely not (laughs) any professional financial advice. But um, I'm kind of sharing my personal experience as someone who's studied personal financial planning and financial literacy and how I've kind of tied that into my spiritual journey. Um, Because, you know, we know that money is kind of like the epitome of materialism. And (laughs) when you're seeking, when you're doing the spiritual practice and you start seeking truth and spirituality, my guess is we all go through this phase where we're like, can I get rid of money <laughs> and yeah <laughs> can i completely detach from materialism and money and not care and i found that was not actually an option for me <laughs> what in 21st century america you can't just get rid of money no somehow i'm still stuck <laughs> stuck using money stuck on the material plane and at the beginning of my spiritual practice surprisingly not in a place to completely sever my attachment to material things. Also big surprise. (laughs) Yeah. But I think in a way that's actually what opens up the opportunity to have all these, you know, I'm going to use my term, but like forms of mindfulness around spending. So like, yeah, I think just for a little historical context from the Buddhist side, the very first Buddhist monks and nuns were not actually allowed to touch money. 
And that did not last long (laughs) because it turns out you have to eat, you have to have a shelter. And uh, so like there's, you know, several thousand years of history of people trying to get away from the money side. But unless you just straight up go off into the forest or you're living in a cave in Tibet and someone like drops you off some food and tea every now and then, we're all stuck with it. So it's not even just a modern problem. We, We can't sever ourselves from it entirely. We can't quit cold turkey. We unfortunately, we have to interact with money and we have to interact with this material plane in this sense. And something interesting I had learned in finance that I think applies to spirituality as well is that um, people feel that money is logical and it's mathematical Mm -hmm. because it involves numbers and there's a logic you can apply to it. But we discover people like engineers and even accountants, they don't necessarily handle their finances well, because just like in spirituality, you can have the teaching, you can know the practice, you can know what you're supposed to apply and not be able to apply it perfectly. So I don't know what you're talking about, Emily. (laughs) I was perfectly (laughs) mindful this morning in meditation. My thoughts didn't wander off 15,000 times in 10 minutes. (laughs) So just because you have the rules and you have the understanding doesn't mean you don't have to practice to apply it. And so what mm-hmm. I thought I'd share is some of the ways I bring my mindfulness practice into my spending practice and just some sort of tips and tricks because you have to interact with this plane, this material plane of money. <laughs> How can you do it a little more mindfully? Because also to, um, Carrying debt can be a heavy burden and it can be a significant source of suffering and your time and effort um, taken away from your your spiritual practice. Um, so so true. So the big th- the big thing here to remember is that money is emotional as much as it is logical. So in America, especially, we tie um, kind of a personal value or worth to money, even if we think we don't, a sense of security, our hopes and dreams are kind of often tied up in our financial capabilities, because a lot of us, what we dream of, whether it's having a family or owning a home, it does require money. Um, So treat it as an emotional practice and treat your spending as um, an emotional practice with that awareness. Um, So one thing I want to talk about because this is something that every financial advice video likes to touch on is the daily cup of coffee. A daily cup of coffee. Yes. <laughs> so if you've ever gotten financial advice, you've likely heard how much you can save by cutting out a cup of coffee from a major chain uh, coffee place. They bring this up because this is something a lot of people do out of habit. There's a lot of people who spend a certain amount of money every day on buying this chain cup of coffee. Um, what I rarely... So in a way, it stands in for all of our like unconscious financial habits, right, is what I'm hearing. Right. And we know as spiritual practitioners, the word habit's kind of a big flag. We're looking to dismantle those habits. Um but dismantling habits doesn't mean, again, just cut going cold turkey. It means examining. And so I invite you to examine your coffee experience by sharing 
two stories I have of the same cup of coffee. Um, so when I was in college, like a lot of college students, my campus had a major chain coffee place on campus in the study room that I quickly formed a habit of getting a cup of coffee every day. Um, it was sitting right there staring at me. It was hard to resist. <laughs> it became a habit. I just felt like I was deprived without it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I never sipped that coffee and thought like, wow, wow, I love this coffee. You know, I never <laughs> had that experience. Now, mm -hmm. another experience I have with coffee is whenever I go on a road trip, I get a coffee first thing when I get on the road to sip while I'm driving to my destination. And it's kind of a joyous occasion. Um, you know, whether there's traffic or not, I'm excited because I'm on vacation. The wind is through my hair. My music's playing. I'm singing along. I have my cup of coffee and I sip it. And I thoroughly enjoy that cup of coffee. Thoroughly. Now, I did find later on further examining that experience, what I really enjoyed is having a coffee somebody else made for me. So yeah. because I understood that was the case, I was able financially to choose to save money by substituting it with a cheaper coffee <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> Understanding it wasn't that brand of coffee that was so great to me. It was the fact that like, I was indulging by having someone else make a coffee for me. Um, mm -hmm. But this is a chance to invite yourself to really practice understanding your experience when you're spending money and seeing if you're getting that value. And if you feel what you're spending falls in line with the value of your experience, um, which brings me to something else I like to do which is kind I just, of, I just want to pause for a second, if that's okay. Yeah. And like connect what you just said to mindfulness, because I think the dynamic you just described, like, you know, especially the habitual side of it, where we do certain things. I mean, for me, I guess ironic because we're recording a podcast episode, but like for me, podcasts are just like a habitual way of, you know, soothing anxiety. And I think, I think, you know, we talked earlier about, the suffering of carrying dead. Well, you know, that's what Buddhism is all about. Like, how do we reduce that suffering? And when we take an action and we expect one result and we get a different result, like that's where the suffering happens, the dukkha, as, as Buddhists would say. And if you buy the coffee expecting one experience and you're always getting a different experience, but you don't notice, like to me, that's where the mindfulness comes in. So you can notice, oh, wow, I really enjoy this cup of coffee. Oh, I spent five bucks on a cup of coffee in my study place and I'm sipping it without even paying attention. I just wanted to like flag the mindfulness aspect of it where it's, you know, if you're in that moment, then you know whether it's fulfilling your expectations or not. And, and you know, you know, not just like intellectually, but like you're saying emotionally, did that just work for me? So I just wanted to flag that for anyone who's wondering like, what's the connection with Buddhism? <laughs> it sounds totally aligned. I'm sorry, you were about not, to jump into a second. That's thing so validating <laughs> to hear, though, <laughs> because it is it is 
an interesting feeling to try to discuss money in a spiritual space mm-hmm. and money, um, especially so kind of, it's so taboo. We even kind of question mm-hmm. about spending to receive the teachings even. Um, yeah. so I, I love that you added that tidbit, Claire. Um, so something in similar line, uh, with what we just discussed is kind of assigning a subjective value to the things you purchase. Um, you know, part of mindfulness is kind of rejecting things the way they are, or not outright rejecting, but questioning, um, instead of simply accepting things they were. And I suggest you start doing that with prices. (laughs) Just because um, society has set or some sort of price has been set on something doesn't mean that's the value it has for you. And so what I do is if I'm looking to purchase something or if I see something I like, I set my own value. Um, How much is this going to be worth to me in line with how much I think I'm going to use it and how much joy I'm going to get out of it. And I decide that before I make the purchase. Sometimes we're, Sorry, I decide that before I look at the price. So before oh, I, I was about to ask, how do you decide that? I, <laughs> how do you keep the price out? <laughs> I decide what I think the value is before I look at the price because the price is going to give you some bias. Um, we we collect a lot of information from the price. If we see something very simple and we look at the price and it's super expensive, we start to assume there must be a value there brand, Mm -hmm. something, something's got to be special about this. You actually get to decide if something's special or not. That's actually up to you. I love this. You actually get to decide if something is special or not. That's Mm -hmm. so empowering. If something has meaning or value, that's, that's up to you to decide. And I'll tell you what I find is sometimes I place a really high value on something and come to find out the price is very cheap. That's always exciting. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like something's not very value to me and I look at the price and maybe it's on sale or maybe it's not unreasonably priced, but it doesn't fall in line with the value I had set. So I'm easily able to decide that's too expensive. You know, maybe, maybe something's name brand and to other people, they would find it very valuable and society would label it as valuable. But I personally, my use, um, and my joy from that item doesn't fall in line with the price. I just, again, I want to pause. I feel like you're kind of blowing my mind with these things. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Marie Kondo and you've mm-hmm. mentioned like, is this item going to bring me joy? And I, I feel, you know, her, her whole process is you pick up an item and you feel in your body, whether it brings you joy or not. And I love that, you know, in a way, like she's talking about how to get rid of things. And you're talking about the opposite part of that, like how to let it in. And I love that, you know, this approach of like, how much is it worth to me? You know, I feel like, I feel like the the mainstream financial advice you sometimes get is like, well, look on your spreadsheet and see if it's in your budget to buy this. Mm -hmm. And like, it could be in my budget, but it could end up sitting in my closet and never getting used. And I love what you're saying that like, it is an emotional decision but you're keeping yourself from making the wrong decision by knowing that it's emotional and just doing that up front, setting the value, the subjective value to you. So sorry, I just needed to like pause and take it in. I feel like I'm doing that Brene Brown thing where she's like, wait, wait, say it again. (laughs) But that was super helpful. Thank you. Well, am I crazy or 
Marie Kondo, I really feel like when she talked about that, I was like, whoa, that's kind of a high-level spiritual teaching. I don't know if a lot of people are ready to recognize that they feel joy in their body about something. So feel anything in their body. Like, I think she's deeply shamanic. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, hats off to her. I love her. And you're right. Like, again, we're looking at what we're bringing into our lives. Like you said, you vote with your money politically, but you also Mm -hmm. vote what you're allowing in your home interfering with your time yes. so yeah i love it the idea that there's an emotional cost to having it in your home you know it's not just the financial and it's not just well how much can i fit into my house <laughs> right um so like in line with that awareness and with understanding um so in our, our spiritual practices, we're trying to become mindful of ourselves and be aware of uh, how we feel in our body, uh, how we're reactive to things. And for a lot of people, they react emotionally with shopping. And this is, we, we know this, we know a lot of people are stress shoppers. We know that when quarantine happened, a lot of people made Amazon purchases it was it was a way they found comfort in a difficult time, I think, and brought excitement to a time where they were feeling a lot of dread. So yeah. um, as we become more aware, if we have these tendencies or not, another thing I propose is um, if you are a stress bender and you become aware and you start to know what these triggers are, what I like to do is I keep a list of inexpensive items or items I would like to purchase that would be useful. I just haven't brought myself to purchase them yet. And this is when I go ahead and make these purchases. Um, Oh my God, that's genius. You're not like just randomly buying junk you don't even need. mm -hmm. You're buying the stuff you do need and you've been putting off. Right, so... We know we have, we know some people have an emotional spending habit. And if you're one of those, practice your mindfulness by learning how to recognize it's coming and practice kindfulness for yourself if you're needing that by having kind of low cost alternatives or again, items that are necessary that you haven't brought yourself to, to purchase yet. And see if that brings you kind of the same that you were once trying to achieve by just shopping stressfully. I love it. I love, I love the mindfulness and the kindfulness that you are actually, you know, treating yourself with compassion and self care, Mm -hmm. even as you engage in retail therapy, (laughs) that there doesn't have to be guilt and shame associated with the process. Like, I think that's really powerful. Right. Uh, Remember like we're, we're trying (laughs) And and times are really hard right now. And um, we need kindness for ourselves as much as for anybody else. And just like we can't cold turkey mindfulness, we can't necessarily, all of us, cold turkey our bad spending habits. So um, preemptively kind of designing an action plan 
or reaction plan for when you feel <laughs> um, this urge to go spending, kind of looking into what can satiate that urge in a way that you have that plan ready to pull out as you witness yourself and examine yourself getting to that point of wanting to stress shop. I just have to ask, like for anyone who's out there thinking like, that's a great idea. I want to implement that. Like, what do you do? Do you have an app? Do you have a notebook? Like, how do you kind of keep track of those things that you're actually maybe going to get use out of? <laughs> and then, you know, have them conveniently there to like pull them out when you need that list. I, so I found for me, I can replace shopping with an experience I know we can't all do that because we don't all have a few hours when we have that urge to shop, but mm -hmm. I'm able to avoid bringing something tangible into my home. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm able to kind of ride out the desire by going to a movie. Or for me, the other thing is the roller rink, if I can get out there. Oh, fun. Or <laughs> some kind of dessert, which I don't want to touch on food as a replacement because there's a lot of emotions connected to food too. Yeah. Um, but you know, whether that's like something uh, you can utilize or not. So for me, sometimes I just pick up a bubble tea. <laughs> nice. It's like a, it's like a, I was about to say healthier substitution, which maybe is ironic in the context of bubble tea, but like <laughs> definitely these experiences like you don't end up with a sort of hangover of, you know, a new thing on your wall or in your closet or something. Yeah. And I mean, even if you do that, that's where the Marie Kondo kindness comes in of allowing yourself to say thank you for satiating me when I had this urge to go spending and I'm ready to let you go now. Yeah. And at this moment, I mean, there's a lot of folks in e economic distress. So like donating clothes or mm -hmm. donating whatever it is, you know, it's not like you've just wasted it. Like you had your enjoyment. I mean, this is what she's all about. You had the enjoyment of that object was buying it. And now it served its purpose and it can go on. Again, the emotion is okay. You can feel it and allow it to, you know, give you that, that like trigger that it's time to go on with that, that piece. And every mistake, too, is like a teaching moment. You know, mm. I occasionally have a slip up and I can remember. <laughs> I remember holding the object and saying, this was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and it does last for a time to help me through other near misses. <laughs> it's comforting that this was a process even for you with a degree in personal finance oh yeah oh yeah like i said it's it's emotional and it takes time and everybody wants to think like oh you learn financial literacy you learn the word rules you just apply them it's math it isn't right it's genuinely a process and it's letting go Sometimes you look at your finances and you recognize some things have to be let go. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have in those moments? You know, say that you're having that emotional reaction of um, maybe having to make a decision between two things. Like, how do you how do you find what to let go of and what to keep in your budget? 
I mean, I find the the comparison, it's that that examining in the moment of purchase, I think, is very helpful. And then that comparison, again, that Marie Kondo brings up, that you touch an item and it immediately sparks joy, or it doesn't. And mm-hmm. the question of what is it I'm getting from that purchase, and is there a cheaper alternative? Mm-hmm. Do I mm-hmm. need big chain store coffee or would a much less expensive chain store coffee do the job? <laughs> um, so sometimes that's recognizing like maybe you have an expensive hobby you love, but what you really love mm-hmm. about it is the community surrounding it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to look for some to see if you can find an alternative that has the same kind of tight community that maybe doesn't cost mm-hmm. as much. What I'm hearing as like the subtext of what you're saying really is still habit, you know, that that these things may be about what has worked for us in the past or where we're used to finding these sources of comfort. Um, I'm kind of thinking now of like Gabor Mate's work on addiction. Um, he's amazing. Uh, but he, he, you know, he writes about and talks about addiction and what the addict wants really is, you know, comfort or release or, you know, and they've, they've learned how to get it through one thing. Um, but like, they're not actually getting to the root of the problem, you know, and it sounds to me like a similar thing. Like if what you're looking for is community, and you're used to finding it here. Um, but that just doesn't fit with, you know, where you are financially. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's the only way to get that. Right. <laughs> like, instead of what do you want? What do you need from the situation? Right, exactly. And another tool I've helped, found very helpful in navigating this is like spiritually seeking my purpose and looking at the grand picture of what I want my life to be like and where things fall in line and where they don't. Um, And you and I talked about this a little bit. People talk a lot about goals and financial goals and you can say retirement Um, and retirement is a really good one, but that little word holds so much in it that you're not fully mindful of when you just say the word retirement. So rather than the goal of retirement, if you take the time to fully remember your purpose of, I want to feel stable at a certain age and have the freedom to work where I want to work or to choose not to work if I don't want to work, um, that's, that's huge. And that's so impactful. And it's not fully in our mind when we just use the word retirement. Same thing with like a personal goal I have is eventually to own a home. And for me, I kind of envision what that home would be like. And I think of all the things I want to do in it. I want to have an art space. I, I can see it too. I see like the corner, both both sides of the corner has windows and that's where my art desk is. I have some um, like special exercise equipment I want installed in my home that I can't install in an apartment. I want my kitchen to look like this popular sci-fi movie. (laughs) I have a mural planned. Like I see that home and I feel 
how I want to feel in that space that I have all this room for the creativity and I have all my freedom, but I'm also in this comfy little nest. And instead of telling myself I'm saving, you know, I'm trying not to spend because I want to save for a down payment on a home. I picture that house, you know, and I, I picture what it means to me beyond just, I have a house. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that to be a powerful tool, but kind of finding these purposes, I think, take, take time and introspection to like, really look at what we want out of life and what's important to us. This is, you know, to bring another taboo topic into our conversation, like it really reminds me of death topic I'm pretty fascinated with and reflecting on death. And, you know, again, hopefully for both of us, it's going to be a long ways in the future. But like, it's one of those topics that when you reflect on it, it reflects on how you want to live now. And, you know, what do you want to get worried about? What do you want to spend your energy on? And I feel like, you know, I'm hearing something kind of similar, like you're using those emotions that get brought up when you think about, you know, the comfort, the freedom, just the the nest quality of a home um that like in the moment when you're deciding do i spend a thousand bucks on this (laughs) you know you're you're balancing like which brings me more joy in my body a home or whatever i'm trying to decide to buy (laughs) because if there's nothing to balance out that feeling of you know whatever i'm gonna get if i make a big purchase then it's not easy to say no to a big purchase yeah. In my experience. And you know what? Like, I'm glad you brought up death because I hadn't thought to talk about to talk about it in this context. But the reality is, like, I think about my own death all the time. <laughs> I, know that sounds, I know that sounds morbid. Um, actually, I think myself and a lot of my friends do. We're all like horror movie fans. And that's something we strangely have in common is like we all think about our own deaths all the time. But I do, I do genuinely find that it helps me, um, Mm -hmm. especially because I'm still in a place, I don't know that I believe in reincarnation yet, but Mm -hmm. whether you do or not, we live this specific life Mm -hmm. only the one time. Mm -hmm. So it's always at the back of my mind when I'm Mm -hmm. doing things. And I felt it's really helped me that, you know, coming from this finance background, I've actually been pretty good at saving my money. I actually haven't been, well, I haven't been, I don't know that I can say I haven't been great at spending it. (laughs) Cause I have, (laughs) sometimes I am great at spending it, but not where I really want to spend it. Um, because I have my own personal issues and hangups and ways that I was raised to think about mm-hmm. certain things that I've also had to dismantle. So I'm actually really working towards freely spending my money to spend time with friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I find that's what, what's most valuable to me right now is I, I have these people that I love and you never know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. And, exactly. um, you know, we have, we have to use money. We have to handle our finances. We want to stay in budget. And I actually would like to cut spending wherever I can to be able to spend 
to not even think about when I spend time with friends, to be able to be generous with them um, and yeah. to practice generosity um, because there's an immense satisfaction for me personally that comes from being generous to friends and, and the time spent with them. And um, sometimes it feels like it's so much easier to see what's important in life when you have those moments um, with someone you love. It, it seems like everything feels really clear. Do you ever yeah. feel that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's easy for me to get caught up in work or, you know, the next thing that I'm trying to like get done and put out into the world. And there's just no guarantee. Um, and, you know, I, I really appreciate I appreciate this conversation for being able to like reflect on, well, not just how am I spending my time, but how am I spending my money? Am I able to be generous? I think for me, being generous with my time is difficult too sometimes. You know, I feel like, oh, I have all this stuff to do. But, you know, I love this word generosity that you've introduced. It's the first of the six perfections in Mahayana Buddhism. <laughs> like it's a fundamental part of the spiritual path. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, we think about like, lack of inherently existent self and permanence, like, oh, so depressing, but like generosity, just being able to kind of relax into the universe and to know it's okay, I have enough, I can share, we're all in it together. You know, what a profound outcome from this form of, you know, mindful spiritual practice. Yeah, I, I want to be more generous with my time too. But towards the end of college, um, when I was graduating, you know, a lot of us had this experience of having to look and evaluate jobs and, and wondering what's best for us. And I suggest, um, if you're ever in that situation, consider also the idea that, you know, the money's not the only value. If you want to be generous with your time and with your friends, um, you know, sometimes you can look at these jobs and you can frame the financial difference between them. You can ask what you're purchasing for that financial di difference. You may find that one job pays, say, 20000 more, but consider maybe you're buying yourself less stress and um, time to be generous with your friends for that $20,000. It doesn't just have to be how much you're spending. Um, you can also consider what you're making. Yeah, I love that way of looking at it. Um, I feel like that's a great place to kind of wrap up our conversation because I feel like you've kind of helped me to reframe. I feel like when I think of personal finances, I just think like, oh, more, 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 more. I should have more money or like earn more, spend less. Ah! You know, here it really sounds more like a process of reflecting on what's important rather than, you know, trying to live up to someone else's, you need to have millions of dollars in the bank for retirement. Like the world could end before I get to retire. <laughs> My That's world true. could definitely end before I get to retire. So this is a really helpful for me reframe around, you know, bringing this huge aspect of our lives, our, our financial lives into spiritual practice too. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like you just touched on kind of the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, 
just like we're all on our spiritual path, uh, we're not in the same race as the Joneses. We're all yeah, on our own. Exactly. And you should allow yourself to determine what you're working towards and what your future looks like. And don't think it has to be any one specific way. Yeah, that your emotions are your guide to what's important to you. Mm-hmm. Your emotions plus your mindful reflection on, you know, stuff. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Emily. Is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, no, just thank you for for taking a moment to consider thinking about your finances as a spiritual practice. And um, for those of you who want financial advice, I would tell you um, learning basic financial literacy, I think can just, um, it can help you so much more than even just a pay raise can. So um, don't shy away from this material issue just because you're working on your spirituality allow yourself to understand we have to interact with this and um work smarter not harder oh there we go (laughs) awesome thank you if you enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe if you're watching on youtube or if you're listening to a podcast please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. That's super helpful. Thank you. May you and all beings be well.